It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in to Talent Talk. I'm really excited to have two guests on today uh, that I admire. One who's been on the show before, Karen Robinson. And then after the commercial break, we're going to get to James Kerr, who's new to the show. He's a management consultant, author, and co-founder of uh, Indis- in- Indispensable Consulting. But Karen is a local Orange County like I am, a vice president of human resources at Exemplus. I to know what they're up to and maybe how the pandemic has been uh, affecting them and remote work and all of that. So, you know, it's, it's these type of types of conversations and stories that I love to kind of get from my guests, find out what's going on in their minds. What are they dealing with? What are they thinking about from a leadership standpoint, from a growth standpoint? How is our company handling whatever is going on? Uh, as this is being uh, taped live. So uh, we love to take those stories and hopefully turn them into something that you can use, something you can learn from. A lot of the best stories over the years that uh, we've been able to to, to curate yeah, from the show, I've put in my book, The Power of Company Culture. Love to have you check that out wherever you buy your books online. You can usually find on Amazon or wherever you go. And, you know, for future, you know, stories, uh, we are, the show is taped live every Tuesday, 1 p.m., Pacific Standard Time. And uh, most of you, though, kind of get us as the podcast, and that's cool. Uh, just make sure you subscribe, talenttalkradio.com, or on iTunes, or iHeartRadio, or Stitcher, wherever you find your podcasts. You can subscribe there and make sure that you never miss an episode and you know what cool people we've been talking to. One of the things that we like to do is to make sure that we, uh, uh, you know, live tweet this, that we can keep this going, that we can uh, talk to as many people as possible uh, if you can't listen or maybe if you can't write things down as we're talking about them, then we can uh, we live tweet the links and the best comments and we'd love to talk to our audience uh, and then we do it all through Twitter. So find at PeopleG2, follow them, uh, use the hashtag Talent Talk. My social media coordinator, Angela, she actually live tweets all that stuff. She's listening intently right now tries to listen for me to say something intelligent, and our guests say a lot of intelligent things, and she puts them out there. So we appreciate all that. All right, as I mentioned, we're bringing back to the show Karen Robinson, uh, Vice President of Human Resources at Exemplus. And then my second guest after the after the quick commercial break will be James M. Kerr. It's spelled K-E-R-R, even though it sounds like Kerr, C-U-R-R. Uh, he's a management consultant, author, coach, and founder, again, of Indispensable Consulting. So let's go ahead and bring back to the show again. Happy to have her. Karen, welcome back. Yeah, thank you so much, Chris. It's great to be back and great to be uh, speaking with you today. So how are you doing? How are you handling all, all the things that we can kind of start with? You know, how have you been doing over the last few months? Yeah, you know, um, it kind of feels like uh, all year, every day is a new day, every week, uh, you know, brings a new set of challenges, but uh, the approach of focusing on the positive and really, uh, you know, what are the opportunities for growth uh, as we kind of work through the different challenges that everybody's facing and, and how can we, how can I really help kind of my uh, co-workers and my family really uh, leverage those networks and leverage those connections to Stay, uh, stay connected and stay, uh, keep some of those social relationships alive in, in the world of uh, social distancing. Right, right. Well, and then what, what, what should our, our listeners know about you as far as, you know, the work that you do? Uh, maybe you could tell them a little bit about what your company does. Uh, I think that might be important, too, as we kind of take off here and start digging into the different parts of, uh, of your company and your job. 
Yeah, perfect. Yeah, happy to. So um, I'm the head of HR for a company called uh, Exemplus. So I run both human resources as well as communications and our, our social responsibility activities. Um, and I've been there for about six years. Uh, so for those of you who, who don't know uh, what who Exemplus is or what we do, um, you know, we started out a little over 20 years ago as a custom built to order manufacturer right here in Orange County. Uh, so a little bit unique to still be a uh, large manufacturer based uh, in Orange County, California. You know, we, we started out primarily as a chair company, so uh, just making office chairs and side chairs for uh, corporate businesses across the country. Over the last 20 or so years, we've really grown uh, astronomically to, you know, now we sell um, all sorts of, of furniture from desking, benching, uh, really anything that you would need uh, to kind of outfit your corporate office and really been leveraging over the past couple years more of that kind of custom built to order manufacturing capability. So um, doing recent acquisitions and, and kind of more uh, adjacent businesses where we can leverage that manufacturing footprint and, and really expand out. Uh, and most notably, uh, about a year ago, we closed on uh, a, a wonderful brand, Timbuktu, uh, based up in San Francisco. Uh, so that's kind of uh, kind of my role and, and what I do uh, for Exemplus. Um, I'd share just as a side note, uh, kind of for the purposes of, of this conversation, I'm a, a, an organizational psychologist by training uh, and just have a deep interest in kind of how things work uh, in an organization and, and kind of the research that uh, kind of feeds uh, that information. Well, uh, you said a lot there, so maybe I'll start in the beginning, <laughs> the easy part, which is, you know, I kind of pre-pandemic, I try not to be in my office all the time and not be in my, you know, my desk all the time. I like to, to meet with people and have lunches and go to conferences and doing speaking and things like that. But certainly since the pandemic, I have found myself in my chair pretty much every day. And I am very thankful that I am sitting every day in an exemplist chair. So uh, <laughs> it's probably the best one I've ever had. I, it certainly is the best one I've ever had. And it was very fortunate that it got, got it custom made just for me. And it's been fantastic. So if anyone's looking for a chair, now's the time uh, <laughs> to, to take a look at what they can do for you. But, you know, as you kind of roll in past that, I know kind of regardless of whatever you guys make, I think you've, you've always been really fascinated or really spent some time really working with your people. Uh, and it makes sense uh, based on your background and what you're interested in um, that you have, you know, you guys spend a lot of time really thinking about and being intentional about how to motivate your people, how to... Uh, listen to them, how to make sure they're being heard and those types of things. Maybe you could talk a little bit about, you know, since virtual work and telecommuting and was sort of thrust upon people, and I don't know how much of that you were doing prior. I think most people were coming into your office or offices on a regular basis. But, you know, uh, how effective has that been for you guys? What does that look like? Yeah, and we you know, we were really in a position where uh, we really weren't doing a whole lot of telecommuting um, early on, right? We you know have kind of grown up in Orange County. Most of our workforce is here in Orange County, and so we've been probably even over reliant on just in person offices and, and communication. And so, you know, when this all came down, we really had to pivot very quickly um, in terms of. Uh, you know, and I think it literally was over the course of two or three days where we took our entire office workforce and, uh, you know, sent them home with boxes of IT equipment and all that good stuff so we uh, could could get up and running in a virtual environment. You know, I think for us, you know, having the benefit of really intentional team building and focus on our culture has enabled us to do that probably relatively seamlessly, you know, where we've invested heavily just in building an amazing uh, IT team, um, you know, we've kind of built the, the required mechanisms for communication. So we're able to leverage, you know, text messaging, uh, different hotlines, um, creating interactive portals, et cetera, that really helps us kind of keep people informed, keep people engaged. And what was, you know, way back in March, like <laughs> really a whirlwind of activity. Um, so I think that helps us kind of navigate through that shift. Um, and then ultimately get to a place where, you know, we've, uh, at least for our office side of the business, have been working from home since March. And, and I would say relatively seamlessly, certainly leverage, I think, some lessons learned from, from you and, and your company having been virtual this whole time. Uh, and really, I think that's allowed us to be focused um, a little bit more nuanced in terms of, you know, how we can support our, our workforce in that virtual environment, whether it's through technology, techno uh, different communications, and then just more broadly, you know, how we keep our culture going 
in kind of a you know a, a culture that was you know in some ways very reliant on that in-person interaction how do we transition that into the virtual world still find ways to keep people engaged and and uh, uh committed to the organization um while also helping our employees through some challenges that you know, are, are really heavy, right? And whether that's just the lack of social interaction, just kids being at home, uh, doing distance learning, uh, you know, lack of ability to, to travel and go see family members or whatever, um, just being very aware of what our employees are going through and that everybody has that unique uh, uh, kind of portfolio of challenges right now um, and just trying to find ways that we can really help support our employees through that while also giving them some sense of normalcy in terms of our culture, who we are as a company, and giving them that kind of grounding. Yeah, and when all of this happened, and, and even till today, I mean, my, my phone has sort of been off the hook and my email has been, you know, get, gets pretty full with people who are, who are scared, who are looking for advice, people that are, you know, looking for some sort of guidance, because to your point, a lot of people who weren't a lot of companies who weren't using virtual work or weren't uh, didn't have that as a strategy that they were implementing on a regular basis mm -hmm. so quickly went uh, to it. And so you can send everyone home with their computers and hopefully their comfy chairs and, and a box full of stuff. But but then what? Right. Yep. And and and, ha and and they can kind of do their work. But how do they stay connected and how do they uh, communicate? And how do you keep your culture going? And. And so are, are there are there things that maybe you learned? Is there anything that you did that maybe, geez, we might keep this n no matter what we end up doing long term? You know, I think, you know, a couple of things that I would highlight. You know, I think technology is just hugely important when you're supporting a virtual team. So one, just having a strong, you know, IT team um, that can very proactively put out solutions that will help drive both the work side of, of virtual work, but also just the cultural side. Um, so really, you know, understanding, you know, uh, you know just to use, you know, obviously we everybody's probably zoomed out by this point, so maybe not the best example, but certainly just having that social context of video, video conferencing is obviously better than just some of the more static uh, tools that are out there. Um, but also just having, you know, tech, technological resources available where, you know, employees know that if they do run into a problem, if they're having issues that, even though they may not be in the office, there's still that IT resource available to them that they can get quick answers so they don't feel like they're kind of alone on an island with a laptop that's not working. You know, I think, and, and not to talk you know, too much about you know, myself, but I think having effective HR support is also critical. So an HR team that is being strategic and proactive in terms of, you know, both communications and trainings on kind of how to telework effectively, but also trying to, and, and what my team has done is kind of try to predict what the next round of issues are going to be. And so, you know, whether that's making sure, you know, managers have the tools that they need to do performance reviews, I mean, uh, kind of this virtual environment, which may be the first time they've ever done a performance review, not in person, or things like I was mentioning before, of trying to identify anything that we can do from a company perspective to help alleviate some of the stress and anxiety that people are feeling because of everything that's going on. That you know, you know, could impact both not only their work, but certainly their their health, their mental health, and so forth. So I think well, those I'll are be, kind of the I'll two things. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'd be fascinated to know, you know, down the line, and and maybe at lunch when when it's more of a private conversation. But I'd be fascinated to know how that changes for you when you're doing those reviews, because, you know, as someone who thinks about cognitive biases and some of the things that go on that maybe aren't good inside of our organization. You know, will some people who weren't scoring well suddenly be scoring, getting better reviews because it's not about how it looks. It's more about what the real result was, right? Yeah. And will and people who were, I'm sorry? Oh, yeah. And that's exactly what we've been talking about, really working with managers to get to what are the real job outcomes that you're looking from missions and how do you measure that? And then the review becomes more about those KPIs, those mm -hmm. measurable work products, and less about... I can see somebody in the office, so I know they're here, I know they're working, but you know, are they really, right? Right. And when it's all about the output and the measurement, uh, I find that there's a shift. There are some people you thought were doing great that you realize, geez, maybe they really didn't do as much as I thought. They just looked like they were doing, uh, they were a lot busier. 
and they're very well connected and they're very social and they're always in different meetings, but that doesn't necessarily correlate to real output or real KPIs for some people. And so that that's really can be fascinating. And then there's people also who maybe use the office in a very positive way. They were very well connected and knew how to get things done that maybe when they went home, they suddenly didn't have some of those tools available to them. And if they couldn't transition very well to finding new ways to collaborate with people or get things done, or, or or maybe just a manager who wants to lead by having two hour Zoom meetings, right? And people are just exhausted and, and you know, it's not very good. So it'd be fascinating to know sort of, you know, where, who went up, who went down on your end, you know, how that changed. Because for me, those are all lessons that even if you bring everyone back, you can, the good stuff that you learn, you can keep doing and you can keep a part of what you're doing uh, to really be even maybe hopefully more successful than you were before. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's part of the messaging that we've tried to share within our organization is, look, we're going to look at these performance measures. We're going to try to, to really focus them in on the work product. And frankly, the work product that the organization needs and values, particularly in times of, of stress and economic uncertainty. And then ideally, those are best practices and those are um, you know, results-oriented reviews and feedback that we can carry forward if and when we're able to come back to the office. Right, right. And hopefully that will be uh, soon. Not not so much because I want people to go back to the office because I think remote work, remote work is great, but I'd love to be able to go to dinner, hang out with people again. So, Just um, happy hour. <laughs> yeah, happy hour. Be nice. So you know, a, a lot of, a lot of the the media sort of on talent is discussing whether you know this will be a permanent shift. People, or at least offer that ability to allow them to be you know remote most of the time or some of the time or maybe a particular departments or divisions might just stay that way? Is there any, any of that sort of thinking going on or discussions for you at a leadership level? Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. I think this has really changed the conversation, right, around telecommuting. And I think, you know, both at Exemplus and, and I'm sure in a lot of other companies, telecommuting was seen as maybe something, a, a benefit to a small group of employees or maybe something that might be effective for a small group of positions. Um, and I think what the situation has shown us is, look, for you know, aside from manufacturing, where you do literally have to be physically in the factory to put together um, furniture, you know, for the most part, a lot of jobs can be done very effectively from home, and we've kind of learned that very you know, through that. Uh, and so, for us internally, you know, we've had a lot of uh, conversations around, you know, what does this look like once we are able to return to the office, knowing that, you know, certainly from a business perspective, we've shown it can be effective. You know, there's employees that are going to kind of expect to, to be able to continue to work from home and, and you know, and, and to their credit, right, they've shown they can do it. And, and so why wouldn't we from drawbacks, right? And, and while it's nice to have a dispersed uh, organization, there's definitely some positives that come from, um, you know, having people work from home. Um, there's, you know, so there's some drawback things that we talk a lot about is, is what does our culture look like? Uh, when we come back to the office, if we're not all in person, right? And how do we take some of our kind of lessons learned in terms of continuing communication, culture in the virtual world, and then translate that into, well, what does that look like in a hybrid work world, right? Where maybe some of our uh, team members are back in the office, some of our team members are still working from home, and ultimately we still want to drive and we still see that importance in kind of driving a values-based organization, a culture that is engaging and challenging and fun, but maybe looks a little bit different in terms of its kind of virtual, non-virtual makeup. Yeah, and, and I think there's going to be this push and pull where suddenly employees, uh, if they're being asked to come back, you know, sitting in traffic stinks. And maybe not that's yeah. not the case for everywhere in the world, but um, in Orange County and in L.A., I mean, like, there's a lot of traffic. So suddenly yeah. now you got to spend 30 minutes or an hour in traffic or more, uh, maybe even each way. That's something you didn't deal with before, all that stress and anxiety and all of that. You got all that time back. And in fact, a lot of the research is showing people are actually spending that time working. They're, yeah. more, they're doing more things, they have more activity. And then, you know, uh, so the other push and pull could be organizations might say, you know what, if we're going to allow remote work, uh, we're, you know, we're in Orange County, there's no reason why we have to hire everyone from Orange County. We can go get this great person for half the price or 20% less in a different state, in a different place, or maybe because we're closer to some clients that we have. And there's a lot of real good sort of talent implications if if we're going to have this maybe a mixed environment or allow this type of work. And to your point, you got, if, if you're 
if you're making chairs in the factory, you got to be in the factory. But for a lot of those other jobs, you don't have to have that. So I think I'm really fascinated to see that and to figure out how companies and employees sort of, I guess, maybe come to a settling point, right? Where does that all kind of land? And I don't know if, if you have any predictions, now would be the time. You could We could say you're right. And if you're wrong, we won't ever bring it up, I promise. Yeah, I mean, I think my biggest prediction is like, I, I don't think, you know, I know a lot of media is kind of promoting this. Everybody's going to stay virtual forever now. I, I'm not a believer in that. I do. I'm a strong believer that the social component of work is so important and so critical to organizations and to employees that I think there'll be kind of a, a pendulum swing back to somewhere in the middle. Um, but I do think, to your point, the the organizations are learning now that they have access to new talent markets through this, right? And so, you know, Orange County is an amazing place to be. It's an amazing market for talent, but there's not enough talent, and it's really, really hard to compete, and it's really, really expensive. And so, you know, organizations will see that they might be able to open that up to other areas, particularly when there's just not enough talent in the market to support you know, all the demands of local businesses. And so I think there will be that kind of natural uh, propensity to start casting wider nets, particularly in the recruiting perspective, you know, for companies who are able to support kind of virtual environment, virtual workers over time. Well, and the other factor that most people aren't talking about that I, I think is huge is that remote work is so awesome for one big reason that no one is experiencing right now, or most people, I guess if you, at least anyone who has kids, is not experiencing right now. And that is that time to think deeply, to have no interruptions, and to really focus on your work and get things done. And anyone who has kids at home right now is not having that experience. And yeah. they're being part-time teachers and babysitters and, and chefs and, and everything else that typically would have you know been outsourced to school during those hours. Uh, so when the kids finally go back to school, if they're still remote or part-time remote, they're gonna those p particular groups of people are gonna be like, "Wow, this is so great." Uh, that's been the experience that my people have always had. So again, we'll see what that where that yeah. push and pull really sits down. I know we're getting close here, almost out of time. I want to make sure we ask you: Is there a book that you're reading right now? Maybe while you've been quarantined, something that's really uh, you've been enjoying. Yeah, and so I, I will admit, uh, you know, it's been a little busy, so I haven't had done as much reading as I might normally be doing, but I uh, had the benefit of bringing, I had gone into the office a couple of weeks ago just to pick up some stuff and bring some um, bags home, and I found a book that someone had given me uh, probably a couple of years ago called Extreme Ownership, um, and it's really um, a leadership book that's told from the perspective of uh, U.S. Navy SEALs. Um, it's a really great book and model, I think, for anybody who's kind of in that customer service uh, realm. And so um, I'm only about a chapter into it so far, um, but that's kind of what I'm in the middle of right now. So a little bit of a dated book, but it's kind of a, a nice little uh, gem that I found as I was uh, bringing some stuff home from the office. Yeah, well, it's, it's great when you find those. And sometimes people give us these books and we don't, it's not the right time for us to add it to our list. But then uh, I've done that too, where you go, oh, I forgot about this in the and, and it's a, and it's a good surprise. So yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, uh, want to make sure that we uh, give you the opportunity to you know we 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 gave you a little plug and that's for real. I really do love the chairs. So if anyone's interested in checking out Exemplus, if anyone's interested in maybe applying for a job, or maybe they just want to know about more about you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, so certainly uh, anybody's welcome to find me on LinkedIn. Um, so Karen Robinson, or uh, feel free to uh, email me at krobinson at exemplus.com. Fantastic. Well, Karen, it was so great to have you back on the show today. Uh, hopefully things get back to normal. And by the time uh, we have you back on again, it'll just be full of boring, you know, normal stuff and not, not a pandemic. But uh, I look forward to, <laughs> to seeing you soon. And thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. All right, we'll be right back, and uh, we'll bring in our second guest. Uh, let's see, James M. Kerr to the show. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. 
Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome to the Talent Talk. Back to the Talent Talk radio show. Uh, if you missed my first guest, Karen Robinson, we'll have her her uh, interview up along with one we're about to do on a podcast. So follow TalentTalkRadio.com, subscribe there or on iTunes. Uh, or Stetcher, uh, wherever you go to get your uh, podcast, we're happy to have you subscribe, and then you get alerted, and then we'll make sure that you can hear us. But we also are live-tweeting everything that's going on right now at PeopleG2 on Twitter, or you can follow that hashtag, Talent Talk, and you can interact with us, ask questions, uh, get the little books and, and one-liners and things that maybe we that maybe are just you can't write down at that moment if you're listening live so anyways let's go ahead and bring in my next guest james m kerr management consultant author coach and founder of indispensable consulting so uh welcome to the show today hey chris how are you doing well i'm doing terrific here good well why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself the work that you do what's important for us to know about you and that and what you focus on here for our uh, conversation today yeah, Chris, I'm a management consultant by trade. I've been doing it for about 30 years now. I've written several books. In fact, I have a, um, number six is coming out uh, shortly. It'll be out in January. And uh, I work with uh, leading companies helping to develop uh, strategic plans, culture transformation uh, strategies, um, business transformation strategies, and so on. I also do some uh a fair amount of executive coaching and leadership development coaching. And, um, well, I'm excited to be on the show here today and talk to you about some of these things. So uh, maybe we kind of dive into some of the things around what you've been writing about, uh, and certainly we share a passion with the the culture change and culture management compartment of it. But, you know, I think through some of the things that you've written about is, you know, regarding leadership. And I think that's a big part. Part of why I here and, and listen to the show is to, to think about leadership or how they can be better leaders or maybe what they can be thinking about to help their leaders be better. What are what do you think are some of the most important attributes of being a strong leader? Uh, sure, yeah. You know, I, I think the overarching most important uh, characteristic is, is really character. I, I think people um, want to believe and they want to follow people that they can believe in. And I, I think uh, being able to demonstrate a strong character, being confident, passionate about what you're uh, doing, being consistent, you know, all that inspires trust and it inspires followership. So I would say the uh, leading characteristics got to be just a really strong character, be somebody that we can trust and follow. So certainly, yeah, someone who has great character would be, yeah, trust and uh, maybe follow through and integrity and certain those things. Uh, I also sort of noticed that you know great leaders seem to be have some some level of authenticity and maybe you could talk about what you think that really is and and how that plays into it because I often think that's it's almost like they know who they are right they have a, a sense of self uh, they're not putting on a show it's not fake uh, but how does that play into that as well. Well, you know, I think the big thing with authenticity is you have a sense when you're dealing with someone who's really authentic that they're honest, that they're talking straight, that they're walking the talk, they're not asking you to do something that they wouldn't do. You know, they kind of keep it real. And um, the other side of that, I think, is decisiveness, right, and and being in it, being in it together, being able to... uh, pull up right next to someone that's a, a subordinate and getting the work done with them. 
So I, I think authenticity is probably the most, the second most important characteristic in a good leader. You know, first it's character, and then it's being real. Yeah, and and I've often, I think those two things are are high high in the, on anyone's list. Uh, I've noticed that you know a great leader can sit down in a group, and even if they're the most senior person there, that they can very quickly uh, just be a member of the team. That they can, they may have more wisdom, they may have more years, they may have more experience at a particular thing, but they can still sit down and just be a member of the team, and even let somebody else, even if they aren't as senior, lead that team, lead that group. Um, without getting in their way, without taking over, without you know running over what that person's trying to do, and and I don't know if there's a word for that, but you know I, I just I've observed that that's like the perfect type of leader, someone who can stand up when it's time to stand up and sit down when it's time to sit down, right? They can talk when it's time to talk and, and shut up when it's time to shut up. Uh, I don't know if right. you would categorize that in a particular way or how you might define that in a way that we could look for that uh, as we're hiring new leaders into our organizations. Yeah, you know, I, I think part of it is is the ability to fit in um, and be in it. That, that's kind of how I talk about it when, I, when I'm uh, discussing that concept. You know, famously, you know, Tesla's um, Elon Musk has this undeniable work ethic. He's, there's countless stories about how hard he works and to the point of exhaustion, right, where he crawls into the corner somewhere in the Tesla facility to catch a nap. And it really sets an example for the team, I think, because he's right in there doing it with them. And uh, he's not above doing the work. And I, and I think that's kind of the kinds of attributes we're looking for when you're thinking about hiring someone to come in and, and, and lead uh, within your organization, whether it's big or small. It's someone that's willing to kind of, you know, fit in and roll up the sleeves and get the work done. I know in your last book, uh, It's Good to Be King, you present a fable about leadership uh, that can you know, easily appeal to both business leaders and to those that, that lead others maybe in, in other situations in everyday life. You know, in it, you offer the idea that leadership is a choice. Uh, can you elaborate on that notion? Sure. You know, uh, sometimes in, in, in that fable, this is really what the story's about. It's, it's a king that inherits the throne, and, and, and leadership is sort of thrust upon him. And when this happens to an individual, you rise to the occasion or you let someone else take charge. Because I'm a firm believer that any kind of leadership void that exhibits itself is going to be filled by someone. So... You know, it's up to us as leaders and as developing potential leaders uh, to rise to the occasion and be be willing to do whatever it takes to set the, the direction, manage the change, um, drive to the expected outcome. So, yeah, leadership is for sure a, a choice, and it's one that we have to make every day. You know, we have to – the first thing we have to think about when we step into our uh, – work mode is, are we ready to do what's needed to get the job done? It's an interesting way to sort of phrase it, you know, and as someone, I sort of feel like I've always been in leadership roles. It feels natural for me to, to feel like I'm a leader uh, in any situation I'm in. However, because I know that, I do intentionally avoid certain meetings or groups or things that, you know, or I just if I'm going to be there, I will absolutely not say a word because I know I will end up taking on a leadership role. I will end up choosing that. If I, you know, I'm too vocal, I can't just be a, partici a complaining participant that will turn into me suddenly having to help, right, or to lead. And if I don't want to do that because right. I can't do everything, I can't be a leader in sure. all areas, I can't take over. But you're right, it is a choice. I, I choose where I want to put that effort and where I want to pull back and maybe not do that, or at least not right now, or it's not the right time and the right place to do that. Uh, I think it's a really interesting, uh, uh, interesting way to think about it. And there's certainly some very famous times where people have given up that responsibility. People who were heirs to the throne and said, "This is not what I want," and they've advocated, and somebody else took over, right? Because they, they may have been born into it, but they hadn't chosen uh, that role. So, right. it, it, it it's interesting on you know. Uh, I have I have this this concept of what I have called a part-time leader, 
as I have a lot of people that will say, I don't want to be a leader. I don't want all that responsibility. I want to lead people. But if I give them the opportunity to lead a, a, a project just for a little bit, and I promise that if they do a good job, I'm not going to all of a sudden promote them and expect them to manage 50 people. Um, and sometimes they like it uh, and, and realize that they really like it. And sometimes they realize that they were totally right. They don't want to be a leader. Um, but they had, you know, for some people, it's they need the practice to know whether or not they can be good at it. So what role does that play into it, right? The, the education, the practice, the modeling, and all that for someone to figure out whether or not they want to, to choose to be a leader. Sure, Chris. You know, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think that, you know, part of uh, the commitment to lead comes with it, the idea that you've got to dedicate yourself to being open to learn new things. So you've got to be willing to learn. You can't rest on your laurels. You can't expect that what worked yesterday is going to work tomorrow. So one of the things we've got to do as leaders is make sure that we're thinking about developing and fine-tuning our skills and expanding our palate, if you will. And then similarly, pass that on to uh, the next generation of, of leader, and that's done through coaching and teaching. You know, even world-class athletes have coaches, and I think really superior leaders are willing to coach uh, coach up the folks that um, are coming behind them. So, you know, to make the team stronger and, and to make the organization uh, more robust. So I, uh, for sure, I, I think it's our responsibility to learn and to teach, and I think it's sort of the foolish uh, leader that, that laughs at knowledge. You know, you can't think that, you know it all. You have to be willing to engage other people, seek maybe alternate opinions, and 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 you know really decide you know among all the possibilities and options that are out there that you know what's the best thing to do at this point in time. Because I I think leadership styles don't discriminate. If you're not a good leader, people are going to know that, and and I think poor leaders can really wreak havoc uh, in any group. So it's in our best interest to, to get good people in place and, and help them to become better leaders. And, and it's done through, like you say, through modeling and teaching and coaching. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're right. I mean, that, that poor leader, uh, someone, and we've had people that they look like good leaders and they maybe have chosen to be a leader, um, but they aren't necessarily particularly good at it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, oh, yeah. wh- wh- what do we do with those people? Well, you know, it kind of depends, right? In every situation, you know, there's not a blanket solution for that'll fit every situation. But if you've got someone who's really perhaps a strong uh, uh, individual contributor, you can find roles for them to contribute good thinking and, and, and good work uh, in that capacity. You know, I, I know coming up uh, in my career, um, I was I started off on the technology side, and there were countless examples of people that were really fine technicians but really lacked the people skills to lead. And these are the kinds of people that were, you know, give them a problem to solve and they could come up with a technological solution. But you had to feed them under the door, you know, you slid the food under the door. You didn't really want to be uh, spending a whole lot of time, um, you know, directly working with them because they were sort of the mad scientists that could figure things out but don't you know don't disturb them kind of thing so i think in some ways uh, a person like that who still has an awful lot to contribute can still be leveraged very well in an organization if we can create those opportunities to to uh, allow for individual contributors and others i mean frankly maybe they just don't fit um, someone maybe isn't uh, a, a great leader and is never going to be, and their technical skills are fine, but uh, you've got to make a decision. Are they good enough to put up with whatever kind of havoc they may be causing elsewhere in the organization? So it's somewhere on that spectrum, right, between leveraging what you've got and maybe cutting bait and seeking uh, uh, other players to come in and, and play a role for you. Yeah, absolutely, uh, and I think you've you've certainly uh, uh, given us a, a roadmap, I guess, into into handle some of those those people, which I think we've all had at different times. Um, and we talked sure. about one of your other books, but I know you you mentioned you have a new one coming out, which I believe is your sixth book. Uh, maybe you could yeah. 
walk walk us through the title and of course you know what you think we're we're going to learn from this what, what what's this book going to focus on yeah the book is called indispensable um and the subtitle is how to build a company you know your customers can't live without uh it's going to be coming out in january Humanix books uh division of newsmax is the publisher really excited about the book uh it, it delivers some really valuable perspective on what it takes to bring a business to the next level of performance. Uh, my intention in writing the book was to provide the reader with a framework or an agenda that could be followed to create an indispensable company. And I use a lot of examples, both from my management consulting work, along with other uh, examples called from industry. So you'll, you'll read about what you know, Jeff Bezos is doing, what Elon Musk is doing, what Jamie Dimon over at uh, J.P. Morgan Chase is doing to, to build businesses that customers really prefer over other options that are available in the marketplace. Well, that sounds like a, a fascinating read, and I, I can't wait to check it out. Uh, some of the other things that you, you mentioned is working with organizations uh, and helping them with lots of different uh, uh, parts of their company from uh, strategic planning to, to culture transformations and design. Can you maybe describe, how, you know, how you approach some of this work with your clients, and uh, you know, what does that, was it sort of typically look like in that type of engagement? Where maybe you're working on someone's culture. Yeah, you know, um, uh, we've got a methodology that we use uh, at, in indispensable consulting that's about. Uh, helping a client build a culture transformation plan. We call it culture reset. And the culture reset methodology has six steps in it. The first step is really around developing a set of principles that will be cultural uh, principles. And they're defining, you know, management's preferences for the way they want to see their culture work. And it can be simple things like, you know, our people are our most important asset to more complex things like, you know, we will drive trust into everything that we do, you know, those kinds of things. So they're, they're principles, they're sort of guideposts that we're going to use as we go through the rest of the engagement. The second step's baselining, and that's really defining where they are today across these cultural dimensions, and we've got several that, that we use. And we're looking at things like leadership tendencies and uh, risk and so on uh, that, comprise the way people operate because it's our belief that culture is really about human behavior so we want to get a baseline as to where that business or organization is uh, currently and then the third step is vision where you define the story that you want to tell about your culture in the future and uh, it, it literally takes the form of a story and we describe in vivid detail hopefully compelling enough to get people inspired to want to be a part of making the culture change in the organization. And then in the fourth step, you compare the baseline to the culture. Where are we today versus where we want to be in the future? And determine any gaps that exist between that current state and where, what you've described in your vision story. It's really important to understand what the, what the gaps are. And then the next step, the fifth step, if you will, is to take those gaps and translate those into projects and programs. Uh, i.e. initiatives that can be uh, put in place and, and conducted in order to transition the business from wherever it is to where it wants to go. And then the last step in our approach is, is an administration step, and it's really defining how you want to maintain the plan. And what we like to say when we're working with clients around the time we build that final work product is, hey, look, we've got a plan that's going to help you uh, transform your, your organization, transform your culture, i.e. reset it, right? culture resets, the name of the methodology. Uh, we've given you the plan. Now you need to maintain it because something will have changed. As soon as we deliver it, it's almost obsolete because something changes in your environment that's going to require that you tweak the plan that we just built for you. So you need a way to maintain that plan, and that's the last step of the methodology. It's an administration uh, recommendation to help a, help a client maintain the plan when we're done with the uh, with the initial planning effort. Yeah, and that's so, so important. And it really amazes me how many companies think that their culture is their product or their service. They think their culture is the place where they work. They think their culture is, I don't know, the personality of their of their leader or leaders 
as opposed to maybe something more intentional, right? Which is really tied to their purpose, really tied to what what they want that business to really be. And I think back to our, our where we started this conversation, right? With a level of character, a level of authenticity, a level of, you know, what is what is this? If this organization was a person, what what, what would it be? As opposed to just being some shadow or some, I guess, simplified version of if you have a a wild and crazy CEO, then you have a wild and crazy culture. Or if you have a very, you know, uh, risk adverse CEO, that means you have a risk adverse culture, whatever it may be. So uh, it's it's really great to kind of hear you walk walk us through through some of that. You know, what about um, what about trust building uh, as as part of that dynamic of of creating a good culture? I think that's usually one of the really good outcomes is when you have a good culture, there's a lot of trust going on, a lot of transparency, a lot of, you know, real, really good conversation. People feel like they can be open, they can disagree, and they can and have that, that, that part of uh, that discussion. So where does trust fit in into today's, you know, cultures, especially for, I guess, maybe through your process and how you're bringing that in? Yeah, I mean, you know, again, Chris, uh, you hit the nail on the head. The, the trust is an essential element uh, of any kind of culture redesign or, or culture transformation effort. And it's one of the things we monitor in the baseline. You know, we, we really want to understand where are you on sort of that uh, trust quotient curve. You know, is it a high trust place? Is there, like you mentioned, you know, are people safe? Do they feel that it's okay for them to ex- express an, uh, an, apo- an opposing point of view? Or are they going to be chastised because they don't agree? So it's trying to understand where the organization is starting from is really where we begin our work. And then it's about trying to um, help the leadership team understand how, how important uh, a role they play in determining the level of trust in an organization. Now, let me give you a, a for instance. You know, if, if you're talking to a, an organization where the trust is low, then you're going to find leaders that are pretty casual with their commitments. You know, they, they're, they demonstrate avoidance behavior. You know, they can't seem to be pinned down. Uh, they blame others when things don't work right. Uh, there's lots of conjecture in those kinds of cultures that, are, that have low trust because People are going to, you know, they're in essence too lazy to find out what the real facts are, so they get they guess at it. It's conjecture. And then they spin the truth, you know, and they, they, it's all manipulative and, and, and all of that. Uh, what you want to be able to do is coach up the leadership team and say, hey, look, you, when you make commitments, uh, make sure you're making them with care. Make sure that it's, you're being clear and exact. Because people are, are waiting for you. They're listening to you. They're watching what you're doing. It's not just what you're saying. It's what you're doing. You know, stop throwing people under the bus. Solicit the facts. Tell the truth. You know, extend trust. You know, it's trust others. And, and you'll start to and, uh, build trust in the organization. So, again, a lot of it kind of, kind of plays out uh, from the top down. But uh, to your point, it's, a, it's an essential part of retooling a culture, resetting a culture. And, and you know, we spent a lot of time talking with the first guest, uh, Karen Robinson, about, you know, the changes that her organization has gone through with suddenly being remote. So have you seen inside of, with your clients, and uh, any sort of differences or challenges or things beyond just having to move everyone home, but just on that remote level in, in working with their culture or keeping that part strong. What have you been seeing more recently? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was uh, being interviewed uh, last week, and that person was asking that similar kind of question. And, you know, I think it's a good one. The reality uh, of it, in, in, at least in my experience with the clients that I'm working with right now, as we go through this, you know, this, this terrible uh, uh, surge that's upon us, is... You know, if they had a good culture to begin with, they still have a good culture, even though people are remote. And if they had sort of a culture that was weaker, maybe lacked trust, um, where people kind of flew by the seat of their pants, then guess what? That Those problems are even more amplified. So I think, you know, if you were to ask what's the difference in culture between working together as we did last year and what we have to go through this year, I'd say not a whole lot. You know, the place where work happens, happens. Um, 
but I think you can separate the fact that there's remote workers uh, from a, from from the culture because the culture is more more than that. It's the values. It's the it's it's what's important. And um, whatever your values are, where you placed importance and emphasis when you were all working together in, under one roof, are still the same things, even though the workforce might be distributed. Well, I uh, really enjoyed uh, our conversation today and, and learning more from you and, and the things that you're working on and excited that you have a, a sixth book coming out. I'm working on my second. I can't even imagine getting to six. So, uh, of course, I, and I said I would never do a second, and here I am doing a second. So who knows? We'll see. But <laughs> Isn't that the way it is? That's the way yeah. it is. Yeah. After I, the first one, I told I, people, if you, I ever say I want to do a book again, you shoot me. I'm not <laughs> kidding. Like, I just, you know, I'm not going to yeah. do that again. And then here I am doing it again. So. Um, yeah, but how can, how can people get a hold of you? How can they find out more about you and your work? Well, you know, there's a couple of things I'd ask folks to do to look me up. One is, uh, you know, look at the uh, business website, which is indispensable-consulting.com. And then also find me on LinkedIn and, and go to the business site. There's, uh, you know, if you do a search on indispensable consulting, you'll find a lot of content there as well. So, those would be two places I'd point to get get to you know uh, indispensable-consulting.com and then look it up on on LinkedIn as well and, and be a follower there. And just a reminder: if you're driving when you're listening to this and you couldn't write it down, we do also live tweet all of this. You can find it on our Twitter account at PeopleG2. Uh, you can also reach out to one of us uh, or or me on LinkedIn if you're already connected. And we can get you those links if for some reason you couldn't get them. But thank you so much for being a part of the, the show today. Hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the cool things you're doing and maybe let us know how the book is doing and all of that. So, again, thank you for being a part of the show. Yeah, Chris, thanks a lot. I really appreciate uh, the opportunity and good luck with all you do. Thank you. And thank you to everyone who listened to uh, today's show. Hopefully you gained something that can help your own career in a positive way. Until next time, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2. 